It's abundant. And in this passage, you see the Apostle Paul in a strange set of circumstances. He just had to jump overboard a boat, swim to the shore. It's it's stormy. It's it's during the fast season, during the the, the Day of Atonement, which is late in the fall. It's no time to be out on the sea. Paul had warned them. The rain is coming. The storm, your lightning, has hit this boat. It's, it's sunk. It, the, the waves have beaten it apart. And now they're on this island and it's freezing and it's cold. And you see the man get bit by a snake. And yet, in the midst of all of these things, Paul's life for God is flourishing. And all Paul is doing is using his spiritual giftedness. And this is what God wants you and I to do to flourish in our Christian life. He wants us to identify what our spiritual gifts are and use them whatever circumstance we find ourselves. That is the way that you will flourish. That is the way that your life will find fulfillment. Simply using your spiritual gift. God has given every one of us in this room who knows Christ as our Savior a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that He gives gifts individually as He wills. The Holy Spirit is sovereign just as God the Father and God the Son is. And He gives spiritual gifts to His people so that we all can benefit. Notice in this passage today that everybody benefited from Paul exercising and using his spiritual giftedness. We all have innate natural abilities that we're born with as well. And we see a group of people who are pagan, who are lost, but yet they have innate God-given abilities to show kindness, to show mercy, to show respect, even though they were barbarous. <coughs> the Old King James is probably the most literal translation that you'll ever find. I'm reading from the New King James, and it says the natives in that place. But the Greek word is barbarous. That's the Greek word, and it's translated in the King James, the barbarous people. Now, what does that mean? Were they barbaric in the sense that they... They were uncivilized. That's not the meaning in the Roman Empire. The barbarians were anybody outside of Roman culture. Anyone who did not speak the Greek language. These people were Phoenician in culture. And they were not barbarians, what we think of as barbarous, but they were the native people of that land who didn't speak the Greek language. They weren't in, uh, in, in, indoctrinated in Roman culture, Roman ideas. And they were capable of wonderful, gracious things, but they were also capable of very hideous things. And that's the plight of fallen man. I believe that fallen man has retained the image of God, although it is ugly, it is marred, it is nothing like God created us when God created Adam. Sin has entered this world. And we are by nature sinners, but there is a vestige of that remnant because God made an eternal decree when he created you and I, and he said, I will create you in the image of God created the man. 
and he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Nephesh is the Hebrew word which makes us different from the animal kingdom. Some theology that is man-centered or man-made will say that man is basically good. The other pendulum says that man is so corrupt and so absolutely defiled that man can't even possibly do anything good or even have a good thought. I think we just need to be biblical and see what the Bible says about humankind and human people here in this passage. We see that man is capable of doing good things. He's not capable of saving himself. He's not capable of earning or meriting any favor from God. But yet man has the ability to make good choices. And men have the ability to teach, even if they're unbelievers. Unbelievers have the ability to show kindness. Unbelievers have the ability to show generosity. Unbelievers have the ability to show compassion toward people that they love. But none of those things are intrinsically good about ourselves. There's none righteous. There is none good. And so we see Paul here ministering to this group of people who are religious, but they are religiously lost. And he uses his spiritual gift on this island to flourish and to bless those people around him. One of the ways that he does this is that he dies to himself. Here he is, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I mean, this man is a gifted orator. He can walk into Athens and he can debate on Mars Hill with the Epicureans and with the Stoics. This man can quote Greek philosophers all day long. He can write a letter to Titus and say the Cretans' own poets say such and such. Slow bellies. I like the old King James. Lazy gluttons. He says, their own poets, the Greek poets, says, in him we live and move and have our being. This man was a scholar. He could debate philosophers. He could perform miracles. He was an innovative church planter. And where does he find himself right now? He finds himself on an island of barbarous people, shipwrecked, and he's gathering sticks to put them on a fire. Why? Because he knew the principle that blessedness comes through self-death. Jesus said it like this, to any would-be follower, any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me, for he who loves his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake of the gospel, he will find it. And so Paul was being a servant of this thing. The lost world desperately needs wise, selfless, flourishing believers who are called to bring his glory and wisdom to a dark world. The truth is, those who are flourishing are always bringing blessings to others. When you're using your giftedness, other people around are flourishing as well because they see you using your spiritual gifts. The entire island of Malta, Puglia, so many people were blessed and your life is the same. God intends you to be flourishing. And when you do, other people around you partake in that. We must discover our spiritual gifts, our natural talents, but we must surpass the natural man and what he is able to do in his innate abilities at birth. 
You might have the gift of teaching because that's the way God wired you. But now that you're a child of God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You might have the gift of giving. We've got giving people. I think of Rick and Bonnie. That may just be the way God wired them, but as believers, we need to excel in our giving. Jesus put it like this, sell what you have. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in heaven that faileth not, and leave the moth or rust, rust corrupt, and thieves don't break through and steal. We need to excel as believers in whatever gifts that we have. And these people on the island, they had certain gifts as well, but Paul excels and goes beyond what they had. We must discover our natural gifts and use them the way God designed them for the world. We should distinguish the name of Christ through our gifts and our abilities so that people understand the character of Christ. These are the means by which we can measure if we are truly flourishing as a believer. We don't compare ourselves with other people. It's not necessary for us to manifest any outward signs we flourish in. It doesn't mean that we've got great achievements, income, possessions, or attractiveness. Now those things may come, but they may not. But flourishing means that we become the person that God intended us to be in whatever circumstances we're in. Paul is in circumstances here that are so adverse, and yet he is flourishing. And that is what God intends, and that's what it means to flourish. It does not mean that I've got success, possessions. In fact, ironically, ironically, it means just the opposite. To become a person that God wants us to be means that I don't focus on myself. No one comes becomes happy as a goal to have self-centeredness. God has spiritually gifted you to flourish and have an abundant life. But an abundant life never happens when you look out for number one. That is a sure way to quench an abundant and flourishing life is when you put self first. This week I got a text from Sister Sue. I want to quote it for you because I couldn't put it in the words that she did. But she said this in her text to me. We are so blessed to watch the goodness of the Lord. And this is in connection with Jordan being out in Portland for two weeks or for a week and a half, ten days, however long you were there. I'm not sure now. Twelve days. You know? <laughs> I should have just said two weeks. I thought I was exaggerating. So I wasn't there. <laughs> Twelve days. He was out in Portland and he ran a race last week and missed qualifying the Olympic trials by two seconds. To run 3,000 meters and to miss it by two seconds. That's just a hiccup. Or maybe a missed hurdle or whatever. And to be that close and yet have no opportunities to run again in the United States, and then to find out there's a meet, and then to find out that the meet is closed. And then for God to get him into the race. And so if you guys don't or aren't aware of it, when one member of our body rejoices, we all rejoice, and we are rejoicing today that God has enabled him to run and represent Jesus Christ at the United States Olympic Trials in Eugene, Oregon. And Sue wrote me this in connection with that. She said, we are so blessed to watch the goodness of the Lord 
when it appears that everywhere we turn, that circumstances have turned out our world, turned to our world towards sourness, our joy into mourning. And Jordan is a voice in the wilderness for the goodness of God. And that, that touched my heart. And I thought, you know, I think it would be appropriate today. Our church body knows him, we love him, we've been praying, we've been watching the races after church. <laughs> Just to give him a few minutes of testimony. So I'm going to come up here and I'm going to sort of grill him for a second here. So Jordan, come up. You <laughs> <laughs> don't have to have a microphone. But uh, right. Jordan, one of the things that I think people at our congregation, our church want to know is through all of this, I mean, I've been watching you since you were 12 years old or 10 years old. So we little different around in Ireland. The Castle Iowa out in the middle of nowhere, around cow pads out in pastures, sogging rain, and, and to see what God has brought you through. Charter College, yeah. Weaver State. What has God taught you about yourself through all of this? I think, um, I think there's a couple of things. I want to start with what God's shown me about himself. Um, and what all, you know, probably comes from everybody's mind is the parable of the talents and the servant who used the talents and God's, uh, I think God's faithful to, to bestow more responsibility on those who are faithful to use their, their spiritual gifts. Um, you know, I don't think that necessarily it's always a good thing. I think if you read, you know, um, missionary biographies and it, the trials that they go through are very, very difficult. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that God isn't giving them more responsibility. You know, they, they're faithful to those really difficult things, and God entrusts those difficult things to them. Uh, and and uh, it doesn't always mean that things work out as well as they have for me. Um, and I think one thing that it's, it's taught me about myself, you know, I shared a, a, a Bible verse with you. I, uh, the morning before I could read it, I was reading 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, Rejoice always um, in everything. Pray without ceasing and give thanks for everything I can. I wrote it down a lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, I wrote it down in my devotions. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God through Christ Jesus for you. Um, and that kind of struck me. I, I, right before the race, I just jotted down a little, a little, little prayer in this notebook. And I was just like, Lord, um, help me to remove the idol of wanting to run well.
sort of answered the next question. Is that that is what are you hoping? Yeah. As you go forward in your your trials, you sort of answered yeah. that. Um, how can we pray as a church family for you? Just just to that effect. Um, you know, obviously I'd love to run well, and I think you guys enjoy it. Too, you know, <laughs> but you know, um, just to share a little bit about you, my dad. die to ourselves, do we truly gain. My first point of our teaching this morning. Paul was always certain. When he was at Thessalonica, he says that he labored night and day so that he wouldn't be a burden to anybody in that church. He compared himself to a nursing mother who cherishes her children he compared himself to a father who admonishes and warns his, his children. He wrote the Corinthians and he says, When I was with you, I wasn't seeking yours, I was seeking you. When he was in Corinth, he met Priscilla and Aquila, and he stayed with them. And he worked with his own hands as a tent maker. When we look at this passage, it starts out with humility and it ends up with him being honored. It starts out with a servant gathering sticks to lay them on a fire. Here he was, the Apostle Paul, an Apostle of Jesus Christ, a man who had revelation beyond any other human. And yet he was a man that was willing to just say what needs to be done. And so that's where it starts. When you want to really flourish, you just become a servant. Humility always precedes honor. Humility also provides opportunities. By doing this, it gave the Barbarians, the natives of that island, a picture of of a Christian, a picture of a man that they completely misunderstood. At first, they thought the guy was a murderer. Then they thought he was a god. And when they left, they knew that he prayed to the one true God that they needed. So by being a servant, it gives you opportunity for others to gain confidence in you, to win their trust. He stayed with Publius, and it won the trust, and it won the confidence of an entire island so that he could minister. When we serve others, we are putting on display the character and the attributes of Jesus. Jesus said it like this, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. He said in Mark chapter 10, Whoever wants to be chief, whoever wants to be first, let it be slave of all. The Gentiles, they exercise lordship over the ones who they are entrusted with, but it will not be so on you. 
So Paul had learned and he practiced that principle. Number two, he's distinguished, he distinguished the name of Christ. When Paul was in, a, in the home of Publius, in verse 7, it says, In that region there was an estate of a leading citizen. This man was probably an appointed governor from Rome over the island of Malta. And through his gifts and his ability, he displayed the person of Jesus. Now, how did he do that? Well, when Publius became, uh, father became sick, it says there was a leading citizen whose name was Publius who received us and entreated us courteously for three days, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed and laid his hands on him. We flourish when we use the God-given talents and abilities that God bestows upon us and these spiritual gifts that Paul had was the gift of an apostle. That was his giftedness. And by being in these circumstances, God now opens the door for him to use those gifts. First of all, he just went as a willing servant. And now, I wanted to sort of change gears really quickly and just talk about the gift of an apostle. Because... I think it's important for us to put this in the context of, the, of church history, what God is doing in the book of Acts. An, an apostle had to have three requirements. One, an apostle had to be the eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, when Judas had taken his life, they said there must be one man from among us who beginning from John the Baptist until the day that he was taken up to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gift of an apostle of Jesus Christ was a temporary gift to the church who's been fulfilled. Okay? We don't have new apostles of Jesus Christ. That's a temporary, because none of us are eyewitnesses of the resurrection. The apostle Paul was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. He qualifies that. The second thing, second thing an apostle was one by the Holy Spirit was receiving new revelation. None of us today are receiving new revelation. The last book of the Bible, written by the last living apostle, said, Cursed is he who adds anything to this book. I know a lot of people say, Oh, it's just talking about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation happens to be the last book of the Bible. And it happens to tell us everything until the very end times. We don't need and we don't get new revelation. Jesus promised his apostles, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will bring to remembrance the things that I've said to you. And he will guide you into truth. That's, first, that's Gospel of John chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. And then Paul says, he says, I want you to understand the mystery of Christ that I've already written you briefly. That in other ages, in other times, was not made known unto the sons of men, as it had now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. That in this age, that God would bring together in one the Jew and the Gentile. That had never been revealed before. 
And the apostles were revealing all of this. So a second qualification is the Holy Spirit was bringing them new revelation. And a canon of scripture has been closed because we have no more apostles. A third qualification is an apostle was one who performed wonders and signs and miracles. And Paul performs wonders and signs and miracles in this passage. A venomous snake is hanging on his arm. He walks over the fire and he shakes that off. There's people that practice that today. Handling snakes. And you know what happens when they get bit? They go to the hospital or they die. One of the two. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or maybe in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, he says, I ought to be accepted by you. I was not behind the most eminent apostle, but I was with you with signs and wonders and various gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. If signs and wonders and those gifts that accompany the apostle, if they were meant for everyone and they were meant for all time, then they are negated as signs of an apostle. You get that? Okay? So it was a temporary gift, and it authenticated that they were preaching the gospel, that they were witnesses of Jesus Christ, and that what they wrote was to be canonized in the Bible. That is the gift that Paul had, and that was the gift that he used, and that's where he flourished the most. Finding what God had equipped him to do, and then dying to himself, using that gift, and then thirdly, Paul did this. He left people better off when he left them before he before when he met them. Everywhere Paul went, they had new understanding about God. They had new understanding about Jesus. Their lives were enriched and they were blessed. And the same thing is true for every one of us. That if you will use your abilities, if you will use your spiritual giftedness, people will be blessed more. They're always blessed more than I do. <laughs> they will be blessed more after the, you're gone than before they met you. And that's what we see here. These people on this island of Malta, these people were fearful. These people were superstitious. These people were fatalistic. Oh, certainly, the guy's a murderer. Look at fate's got him. No, no, he's a god. I mean, these guys were just controlled by their superstitions and their and their misunderstanding about spiritual things. And now they know that Paul is an intermediator before God. There's nothing special about the Apostle Paul. In fact, when the apostles perform miracles, in Acts chapter 3, Peter says, why are you looking at me as through my goodness or my holiness, this man stands before you well, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ. The apostles were always quick to say, it's got nothing to do with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says this, O foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Before your eyes I portray Jesus Christ clearly crucified. One thing I want to learn from you, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it by the works of the law, or was it by hearing the faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? The one who works miracles among you, and provides those powerful signs, how does he do it? How does God do it? Does he do it through the works of the flesh? Or does he do it through faith alone? It's through faith alone. And so Paul was showing these Maltese people the providence of God, the care of God, the power and the sovereign control over our lives which they never had seen before. 
when Paul used his apostolic gift, it opened a floodgate for others to come. When you use your spiritual gift and you bless somebody else, other people are watching, and it just may bring an open door for hundreds of other people to come. Jordan just used me as an illustration this morning. I went to the Olympic trials in 1988, did rupture my Achilles tendon through the preliminary rounds. I got back to Chattanooga and I got a call from a public high school asking if I would come and share my testimony on how I dealt with adversity. I told the principal, I said, under one condition, I can tell them about Jesus Christ because that's the only way I can deal with these things. He was a believer. He knew I was. And that's why he invited me. He said, you've got an open forum. And I didn't just speak at that high school. I spoke at two more high schools. Sometimes when you just use your spiritual gift, God opens the floodgate, and you don't know what God's going to do through that. People are watching and observing. People kept on coming. It's in perfect tense, and it kept on being healed. When Paul left, they honored not just him, but all the members. They provided for their needs. <coughs> accidents, this isn't original with me. I can't remember where I read it. But accidents, misfortunes, and setbacks are not punishments. Paul had been arrested. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been bitten by a venomous snake. Yet these things were permitted in order to give these simple-hearted people the evidence that they would appreciate God's care for his own, that God can override spiritual ignorance, and that God can display his grace and power through a vessel of clay. The fourth thing on our outline this morning is we need to excel what the natural man can do in his own innate abilities. What do I mean by that? Innate. I mean, what you're born with. There's a lot of guys, not a lot, but very few. Very few guys that can run 830 at Stephen Chess, but there's some. But you don't have to be a Christian to run 830 at Stephen Chess, right? There's people who are generous, and you don't have to be a Christian to be generous. There's people who are hospitable, but you don't have to be a Christian to be hospitable. There's people who can teach, but you don't have to be a Christian in order to be a teacher. People have innate natural abilities, but as a believer, listen to me, you and I ought to far out excel. If you're a businessman, you ought to be the best business businessman. You ought to be the most godly businessman. If you're a housewife, you ought to be the best housewife. You must, ought to be the most godly. If you're a child, you need to be the most obedient child. You, if you're a student, you need to be the most scholarly student. We as believers need to outdo the world. If somebody asks you to go one mile, you go with them too. If somebody asks for your coat, you give them your shoes and your and whatever else you got. Because we are followers of Jesus Christ and we are to emulate and to model Him. On this island of Malta, the native people, what did they do? They showed unusual kindness. Publius welcomed them, and he entertained them courteously for three days. And when they left, the native islanders honored them with many marks of respect and provided for their needs. As followers of Christ, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we need to excel what I could have done in my natural abilities through the power and the grace of God. Paul used three months on that island 
to serve, to minister, and to heal all those that brought to him, who were brought to him. Number one, why should I excel the world? You and I have a higher motive, don't we? Our motive doesn't end with ourselves. Our motives are to glorify God. Our motives are to bring other people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And our motives are to edify other Christians. That's why you and I need to excel, is because our motives are higher. We have been bought with a price, haven't we? Therefore, we are to glorify God with our body and with our spirit, which is His. Let me quote this verse for you from Colossians 3.23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. That's our motives. Knowing that from the Lord Jesus you shall receive a reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. We have a higher motive because we're not striving for a temporary crown. Paul likes to talk about running. Know ye not they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? And all those who strive for masteries or strive for a reward at the end of that race, they are disciplined in all areas of their life and all things. Now they do this to obtain a perishable crown. Stephanos. It was a bunch of wreaths that were woven together and they put it on their head and that's what the crown that they won and it faded away after about two weeks. I don't know if you guys have got diplomas or whatever they are, but you know what they end up doing? Collecting dust, right? I, I don't know what you do with those things. You can hang them on your wall. They look nice for a while, but when Jesus comes back, they're going to burn up, aren't they? You and I have a higher motive. We have an imperishable crown that will never fade away, so we ought to excel the world. Secondly, we have accountability that the world doesn't have. Because we have a greater spiritual understanding. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. He says, to whom much is given, much is required. And the context was the servant who knew exactly what his master expected of him. We have a Father in heaven that's entrusted us with unreserved favor, undeserved grace instead of his wrath. We ought to do more than what the natural man does in his own innate abilities. And Jesus said it like this. For if we love them which love each other, what reward do we have? Don't even tax collectors do the same. The natural man, he knows how to do those things. We are to far excel them because our Father in heaven has loved us exceedingly and abundantly. Then he uses another illustration. If we only greet our brother, what do you do more than all the other Gentiles do? Therefore be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The child of God, we flourish when we use our gifts as God has designed them. Four simple things that we need to do in order to flourish. One, we need to die to ourselves. That's where we begin. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 12 and verse 24 and 25. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But when it dies, it flourishes. It brings forth much fruit. 
loves his life in this world will lose it. That's where we start. Second thing, we need to distinguish the name of Christ. When Paul prayed, he was showing everybody that it was through Jesus alone that these people were being healed. Therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. First Corinthians 10 30. Principle number three leave those around you more blessed than before you came. Are people better off spiritually? Because they have been in your presence, in your friendship. Jesus said this, you and I are the salt of the earth. For salt loses its savor, it is good for nothing. You cast out and trod under with my hand. Number four, we need to excel what the natural man can do in his own innate ability. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, in clay jars. So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. If we will do those four simple things, our lives will flourish spiritually and other people will be impacted by what God is doing in us and through us. Let's close with prayer. Father, we're going to take up the Lord's Supper in a few moments. Lord, you are the supreme example of all of these things. You came to a dark, dark world. And you didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through you might be saved. And this world is a better place because Jesus Christ came and he died. Jesus didn't come to be ministered unto, but he came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Everything you did brought glory to your Father. John chapter 17, you said, Father, glorify yourself now. When you were the grave of Lazarus, you prayed that God might be glorified. Lord Jesus, you took on yourself an earthly body so you could show us that you far excel what any human could do in his own innate abilities when the nails were driven to your feet and when they were driven into your hands, you cried out from the cross, Father, forgive me. You went far beyond what any of us could ever do. For a good man, scarcely would anybody die. But God, you commended and demonstrated your love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I pray that you'll search our hearts this morning. Before we take the Lord's table, Lord, may we make sure everything is under the blood of Jesus. Father, if there's something that we need to write with another brother or sister, God, may we have the courage this morning to pass the elements and pass the juice by and say, I'm first going to get that thing right. The God of our sins are private between you and us. We come through our great high priest and ask you to cleanse us. 
Father, we ask today that you will make North Valley Bible Church a church that is flourishing because people are using their gifts so that the entire body benefits. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name.